For years and years and years, I wrote essays in Motley Fool Stock Advisor and Motley Fool Rule Breakers essays to kick off the issues. So it would be May 2008. Wow. Remember 2008? 15 years ago. And in addition to our new stock picks and best buys now that month, the mailed issue of Rule Breakers led off with a page one essay from me. And same with the next month and the month after that for years. Recognize any old school references? Phrases like issues, mailed issues. These days our services are digital. We don't do paper copies anymore. We don't do opening essays either. There's no page one anymore. It simply wouldn't get the clicks. But I put a lot of time into those essays. And as they occurred over a long narrative arc of history, 2002 to 2017, 15 years worth of them, it can be both educational and amusing to go back and see what was being said when. The purpose of The Motley Fool is to make the world smarter, happier, and richer, and that's exactly what I was trying to do with those essays over the years. So I've pulled some favorites with some timeless truths. I want to introduce, or for long-time fools, reintroduce you to our rule-breaker thinking over time this week. But this isn't nostalgia or about yesterday, because I think it might just be an excellent way to educate, amuse, and enrich you today. Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. All right, now let's get into it. Essays from Yesterday, Volume 4. This is the fourth in the series. We last brought you the previous episode, Essays from Yesterday, the start of last year. It was January 5th, 2022. I first kicked off this series in June of 2020, and I just had this instinct to go back because I think we learned so much from revisiting what we were saying, thinking, and doing, especially if you're a stock market investor. Having a memory can be so helpful. Now, I have a very poor memory, which is why building a second brain is an important thing and has been a great benefit to me over the years. And so part of what we're doing when we write something in 2002 or 2017 If it had wisdom or if it can teach an investing lesson, well, I've tried to save those. And that's really ultimately what this particular series is all about. So a couple of ground rules about how this really does work, how it has worked from the start. First of all, I completely randomize which essay I'll be sharing with you. So for 15 years, I wrote 18 essays a year. So 15 times 18 That's outside the multiplication tables, which for me ended at 12 times 12 equals 144. Although if you're a quick study, you could do 13 times 12, just adding 12 to 144 and go above and beyond and know that 13 times 12 was 156, but 15 times 18, that doesn't come as easily to my mind, maybe yours too, but I can tell you it was 270-ish essays. And so what I've done then is I've randomized out of those 270, I don't know ahead of time, until we plan this podcast, what I'll be speaking about since I'm randomizing. Of course, I wish I could cherry pick my my best of all my favorite essays. I mean, I guess I guess I like all of them in a way. It's just that some of them are probably more right than others. You never know how right or wrong I will be with any of these. It's completely randomized, and often I'm going to be referring to some stocks, so we get to look them up, see how they've done. We'll always have some doozies, I suspect, both ways, and indeed, I can tell you this episode is no exception. Anyway, that's the first ground rule. We've completely 
randomized from 274 essays. The second ground rule is they're in chronological order from earliest to latest. So for example, this particular episode, I'll be sharing an essay from October of 2009. Then we'll jump forward to the next October two years later, and then two years later, the October after that. So 2009, 11, 13, we'll close it out with one from 2014. Again, just randomizing the year and randomizing the month and having to suffer through whatever I was saying. And let's have fun together. Let's get started. All right. Well, Rick, if I could get, please, a little bit of Wayback Music, because here we go, strapping it in, back in the Wayback Machine once again. We're headed to October of 2009. I'm thinking I'm recalling the market hadn't had a very good two years or so, although it was about to turn, I think, as 2009 ended, the the horrific bear market was starting to end now in retrospect. And I wrote a 14 baggers, 14 lessons, and counting. Here we go from the October 2009 Stock Advisor issue. The news was a shocker, and it turned out to be just the start of big moves here at Stock Advisor. Disney is buying Marvel, and now Adobe is buying Omniture. The deals touched off so many thoughts and reflections that I, David, here this month can't possibly capture them all in this space. But Marvel has been such a successful stock for so many of us for so long that I'm going to try. Disney's offer to acquire Marvel at a 30% premium raised Stock Advisor's first recommendation of Marvel to a 1,300% gain of 14 bagger. So here's the start of my 14 lessons from this experience, lessons for any investor, whether you owned Marvel or not. In an age when so many, including some of our own Fool.com writers, ask, is buy and hold dead? And so many, though not from the Fool, say, yes. Marvel taught us that, one, buying and holding great companies can earn you tremendous returns. Don't let small f fools scare you out of patient ownership of great companies. That's because, two, you never know when they might just get bought out from under you. The same thing happened to us with Pixar, which Disney bought in 2006. Of course, three, we didn't need Marvel or Pixar to get acquired. When you're buying stock in great companies, they'll do just fine on their own. And indeed, four, when big companies gobble up great small ones, though the small company investors receive a premium, they're often robbed of far greater gains the small company could have achieved on its own. I suspect that was the case here. So, five, it's okay to feel a bit angry, even when you get a 30% premium on top of a stock already near its 52-week high. As I write, Marvel has gained 1,300% since our initial recommendation in 2002. The directly comparable S&P performance is 0%. So it turns out that six, good stock picking can make you a lot of money in sideways markets, but seven, you have to be invested to do so. If you sit on the sidelines waiting for a good market, you'll often buy after the market's already been good. And I'll emphasize this because I'm extremely proud of it. We made 14 times our money holding Marvel over seven years when the market was exactly flat. 
through superior stock selection, you can make money in any market. You can even eat, make good money in down markets. A month-by-month investment in the S&P 500 since stock advisors start in March 2002 averages a 4% loss. My average gain over the same period, 54% per stock. Tom's isn't bad either, 32% per stock. I have at least six more lessons to share, but I've run out of space. Join me on our Marvel discussion board where I'll take the number to 14 and beyond and ask for your lessons too. In the meantime, congratulations to all Marvel and Omniture shareholders. As we describe in our update section, we recommend holding Marvel and letting Disney take the ball from here, and we think it's worth holding Omniture as well. We'll keep on investing using these lessons learned, keeping our eyes open for the next marvelous multi-bagger. Fool on. And that was it. And wow, that is fun to revisit. Of course, I'd forgotten I'd written it in the way that I did. And I thought it was kind of cheeky that I only gave eight of the 14 learnings. And unfortunately, I'm not really sure where that discussion board posting was of mine on the Marvel board back in the day, how to find it today. I will be able to share with you the 14th and final lesson, though, because I have that saved, which I'll share very soon. But for each of these four essays, I'd like to just briefly reflect before moving on to the next one. So let's reflect on a couple of things. First of all, early on in that essay, I reference how some of our Fool.com writers occasionally disagree with what we're doing in our premium services. That was true back then. It was true before that. And it still is true today. And Anybody who's been a longtime Motley Fool member is used to this, but a lot of people get confused by this because they'll come and join Motley Fool Stock Advisor and they'll buy one of our stocks and then they'll see an article on our site that says, this doesn't look like a very good stock pick. And they'll say, wait, I just paid you guys for your advice and I just read an article on your site that said I shouldn't have bought that stock. What's happening? And that's where we have to explain what Motley really means to us at the Motley Fool Specifically in this context, it means that we encourage all of our writers. That includes our analysts, many of whom you've gotten to know on this show over the years, many of our contract writers, many of whom I've never met, who write articles for us on a daily basis talking about what stocks are up and what stocks are down that you can find on investing portals and fool.com. A wide variety, a huge number, literally over time, thousands of people have written are writing for us. You can imagine there's not a party line you tow. That wouldn't make any sense for our business. So referencing early on in that essay that one of our article titles said something like, is buy and hold dead, which sounds a little bit like a clickbait headline to me anyway, but I'm glad it gives me an opportunity back then and even today to mention that there is not a single party line at the Motley Fool. Well, we could talk more about Marvel, but it's no longer an independent public company. It is today, of course, a big part of Disney. I do suspect that had we been able to hold Marvel stock, it would have done great on its own. But I also believe that Disney has provided it the resources and a lot of help and planning and hype, all kinds of resources from whatever the latest trailer is for the next superhero pick this summer right back to, well, Spider-Man, the very first one, which is what caused me to recommend Marvel stock in 2002. It has been an absolutely outstanding investment. It's well more than 14 times its money by now. So that's all I really want to say about Marvel. It was, in 2002, an incredibly great stock pick. It's performed really well in the 21 years since, and I hope 
at least one of you who's hearing me right now bought along with us in 2002 with Stock Advisor, and you still hold your Marvel in the form of Disney today. I also reference in that essay that Pixar, the exact same thing happened. Bob Iger took a shine to some of our rule breaker picks and started buying them. So I had already stock picked Pixar a number of times for our members when Disney bought them out in 2006. And then here they were in 2009 buying out Marvel. So these have been really successful ventures for Disney. And it's a delight to think that fools back in the day were owning these stocks and watching this happen. Finally, I promise you I would give you lesson 14. So lesson 14 from Marvel is that the Motley Fool community is smart. So if you go back, if you can find it, find the very first posting on our Marvel community discussion board. It was dated June 17th, 2005, as we opened up that board, and it was posted by Farnham Street Fool. That's the screen name. It was posted at 1.05 a.m. Eastern on June 17th, 2005. It ends, that posting ends, and I kid you not, quote, do you think this company is an attractive buyout candidate? If I was a media entertainment conglomerate, I would certainly be interested in Marvel. I see Disney as a natural suitor. What do you think? End quote. An incredibly great ending to the first posting ever posted on the Marvel discussion board at The Motley Fool. That is the 14th lesson. You, you fools, you listeners, you community members, you're smart. All right, Rick Engdahl, take us forward through time. It's time to advance through time. We're time traveling. Two years later, it's October again. We're sticking with Motley Fool Stock Advisor. This essay was entitled Two Small Innovations, and here we go. Quote, effective innovations start small. And quote, wrote management guru Peter Drucker. I, David, this month agree. I had far rather be the master and commander of numerous small piloted efforts, many of which may fail, than the overseer of a single innovation for crowning kings. Acronym intended. Side note, I think the acronym there is S I C K. Sick? At Motley Fool Stock Advisor, we are starting two small efforts this month to help you invest better. First, effective next month, we will publish our Best Buys Now one week earlier than our issue. Over in my Rule Breakers service for months now, we've piloted this small effort to member acclaim. Our thinking goes like this. Why are we throwing all our interesting new ideas at you at once? So rather than publish a great reveal in one new issue each month, new picks and Best Buys Now, we aim to spread the fun over more of your stock advisor months. So beginning in October, you will start to receive Best Buys now the second Friday of the month. Please note, we will still be including them with your printed issues as well. So if you don't spend time with us online or in email, you will still find our bright, merry, and market-beating list right here as usual. Yes, with Drucker, we're starting small. That's another way of saying two things. A, if for some reason a huge portion of our stock advisor membership doesn't like this, we'll consider it a failed pilot and go back to same old. And also, B, if the membership generally likes this direction, 
we may look at further ways to make Stock Advisor more relevant to you throughout the month as opposed to primarily on issue day. Second, and in keeping with B above, we're delighted to introduce our new Stock Advisor calendar. For many of our regular online visitors, you've already seen it. It resides at StockAdvisor.com on our Issues and Coverage tab. Look on the right side. Its purpose to boldly go where no Motley Fool service has gone before and provide you a scrolling visual roster of the upcoming most relevant events for our membership. Those include dates for all earnings announcements of our companies, dates for their dividends, reminders about timing of service features, issue day, weekly updates, etc. We're excited to help you look ahead with us at upcoming items of great interest. Like any innovation of any size, both of these aspire to be noticed and appreciated. They also have thick skin, these little guys. So if you don't like them, or see ways they can be improved, please let us know. Address your feedback to heysa at fool.com. And with regard to pre-published content, e.g. Best Buys Now, now, please note that you must ensure you're opted in to receive updates. These two initiatives join a growing roster of service improvements we've made over the years, Core Holdings, Best Buys Now, My Scorecard, and what's next? Not sure. It'll start small. All right. Well, that was October 2011. Here we are more than 11 years later. And thinking about that essay in regards to the first, that's a little bit more mundane. It's just talking about how we're trying to improve our service for you, our members. Separating Best Buys now from announcing our new stock picks was an important moment, I think, in the history of Stock Advisor and of Motley Fool Services. We were tending to throw you all of our stuff at once, and we thought, you know, we can be more relevant to you by spacing it out through the month. And indeed, many of our services these days in digital form work just that way. We're not trying to soak up all your time. You don't need to check in on a daily basis, pointing your browser at your Motley Fool Premium services, but you certainly can. We certainly have enough information there on any given day that anybody can thinking back to the use of the phrase printed issue in that essay reminds me that that's something we stopped doing sometime between 2011 and today. I'm sure some people still mourn not having The Motley Fool in print, but I don't think many of us do anymore. I do want to say something about the great Drucker line of starting small. It was some years later, I reflected on this in this podcast a few years ago when I had most recently seen Jeff Bezos in person He'd given a talk in Washington, D.C. that I attended, and one of his quotes in the talk that he gave, the appearance that he made, I wrote down on a post-it note and just bumped into it today in my rather messy study, and it's, it's very similar. Here it is. Quote, everything I've ever done has started small. End quote. That's, that's Jeff Bezos. He went on to say that day that for him, he's seen small things get big, and I can't imagine many people living on earth today have started with the kernel of an idea as an entrepreneur and grown it to the size and relevance and importance of Amazon.com today. One of the things I love about entrepreneurs of any size and stripe is that you started with a light bulb that went off over your head. Somehow you turned it eventually into a product or service and you began to grow it. And maybe you, you even made enough money you could hire somebody else and start creating Jobs. One thing I think we should all deeply respect about entrepreneurs, even ones you may not like, Jeff Bezos has his critics. I'm not one of them, but certainly a lot of people didn't like Steve Jobs back in the day either. 
But one thing I think we can all respect is their thoughts on how to start things. And I love both Drucker and Bezos speaking to just starting small. All right. Well, we've got two more essays, and the next one has us speeding through time. Once again, this was all random. I rolled a 20-sided die to see what year we're pulling from. Then I rolled a 12-sided die to see what month. And sure enough, I kept rolling a 10 on the 12-sided die. Is this too much information? Anyway, here we are at October of 2013. We're advancing through time. And we're going over from Stock Advisor, where the first two essays appeared to Motley Fool Rule Breakers, this one entitled, Miss Chipotle Regrets? TMF Sarah Jen is one of my favorite fools. Sarah Goddard's screen name includes our corporate acronym, TMF, which says three things. One, we've noticed her intelligence and her passion for stocks. Two, we've keenly appreciated how she embodies our Motley Fool core values. And thus, three, Sarah is part of our enterprise. This is true of an increasing number of fools in our community. They are being invited to help out on our discussion boards or covering stocks as ticker guides. Or in Sarah's case, with her 99.83 CAPS rating, she's also a Supernova team member on our Odyssey One mission. Its portfolio at last count is up 63%, a considerable 38 percentage points ahead of the market in less than two years. Sarah is the very model of a modern major fool. So I'm happy to take up this question she posed to me recently. She wrote, quote, I've been thinking a lot lately about your partial sell of Chipotle in Rule Breakers in summer 2012. The stock did fall, but rebounded and more. I know you don't do regret, but I wonder if you have thoughts or reflections, end quote. I am of five minds on this, to wit. One, no regrets. On September 16th, 2009, we re-recommended Chipotle stock at $89.77, having picked it three years earlier at $60.60. And we sold that position on June 27, 2012 at $391.78. That marked a four-bagger a 336% return versus the S&P's comparable rate of 32%. I do not regret market-crushing four-baggers that happen inside three years. Two, some regret. That position held through to today's 415 would now be nearly a five-bagger and without doing any more work besides just keeping our hands off the wheel. Three, no regrets. It was a partial sale since we left the other position intact, and I intentionally sold the smaller position in hopes that long-term, the bigger percentage mover would drive our scorecard higher. Further, the sold position is up 6%, while the S&P 500 over the same period is up 28%. Four, some regret. Though Chipotle's stock valuation looked way ahead of the business, that's often been true of our best stocks. Tesla, anyone? And the right move has often been to stand by these stocks. We made a, quotes, stock decision when we're generally rewarded for making, quotes, business decisions. 
looking at the business and saying, are things going great? They were and are. So there are my first four answers. I see too many colors on the canvas to pick out just one. I'm grateful to have avoided the jobs where success equals punching home a single three-word message. Oh, and a fifth. It's not just whether you sold, it's what you did with your sold money. Hint, our two new picks that month were Stratasys and Proto Labs. So Sarah, I think I would probably do the same thing again, but maybe not. And not always. Before I reflect on Chipotle, because that's what we're about to do, each of these essays was exactly 500 words. As I turned them into my editor, I don't know if I was lightly gamifying or just that pedantic, but I specifically submitted every single essay at exactly 500 words, thanks to the word counter on my word processing program. That's why they take all about the same few minutes to read, because they're all exactly the same length. Miss Chipotle regrets. Well, there's that old Cole Porter song, Miss Otis Regrets. We were certainly punning off of that, but the question was really, had we missed Chipotle and did we have regrets? And Sarah Goddard, long-term fool, who I think stepped away from the organization some years ago. Sarah, I hope you're hearing this and enjoying your retirement, but it was a pleasure to get to share your name again on this podcast. Sarah has appeared in the past on Rule Breaker Investing. And really, that's the first thing I want to point out about this essay, highlighting wonderful community members and contributors over time. And of course, in my first two essays, I mean, there was Farnham Street Fool with the first post on the Marvel Discussion Board. How much has each of you, especially those with us for a long time, as community members, listeners of our podcast, how much have you meant to us over time? A lot. And indeed, many of you have made contributions. Sarah became a full-time fool for a while. We paid her a salary, but many others start as contract writers. And somebody like Tim Byers, who today runs Rule Breakers, I had Tim on the podcast a few months back, started indeed as a contract writer. I also mentioned CAPS, which I'm not going to talk about right now, but that has always been a wonderful tool for us to see how well people we don't know pick stocks. Second thing I want to reflect is it was one year ago this week that on this podcast, I happened to have Dan Pink, who happened to have written a book called The Power of Regret. I had Dan on at the end of December because that was a bestie for me for 2022. It's really fun to think randomly that it was this very week a year ago that Dan taught me and all of us not to say you live a life without regret. So Sarah, at the start of that essay, had said to me, I know you don't do regret. But I wonder if you have thoughts or reflections. And I'm actually kind of glad in that essay that I did do regret back in 2013. I can certainly see the benefits of having held Chipotle stock all the way through had we done so. Now, I do want to make it clear, Motley Fool Rule Breakers has had a position in Chipotle since 2007. It has been a huge winner. Our cost basis, again, $60.60. Sarah was reacting to a second position we took when the stock had jumped up to 89, as I often do as a rule breaker investor, I add to my winners, and it went from there in 2009 to 391 in 2012 when we decided maybe the stock had gotten ahead of itself a little bit. So we sold that four bagger in less than three years at a pretty nifty profit and held our original position, which we still do to this day. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because we should review now, dear listener, 
Chipotle's performance. One thing I love about Chipotle, it's never split its stock. Yay! That makes it so much easier to look at the numbers and understand exactly what's happened. So Chipotle today is at $1,638 as Rick and I record the podcast on Tuesday, January 31st, the final day of the first month of the year. It's at $1,638, which means our cost basis of 60 and change. We're up 27 times overall on that fantastic pick made by Rick Munares in the Rule Breaker service back in 2007. So it's been a tremendous winner. But the question was, what about that partial sale of that partial position? So let's look at how things played out. Had we held that original position at $89.77 when we added to our winners in 2009, well, today that position would be up 1,700%. The S&P 500, by contrast, up just 300%. So do I regret the partial sale? Yeah, you betcha. You betcha I regret the partial sale now in retrospect. It is also worth noticing, though, the day that we sold that partial position of our Chipotle from that day, June 27th, 2012, to this, Chipotle stock is up 300%. The market's up 200%. In other words, Chipotle has beaten the market over the last 11 years, but not by that much. So, Indeed, it wasn't necessarily that bad a sale just versus the market if you play it forward. So I think those things are really interesting, but I ended the essay in a most unfortunate manner now in retrospect because I said, after all, Sarah and dear reader, it's really what you put the money into. That's how you should be scoring whether you should have sold or not. And so what did we put the money into? Well, I mentioned the stocks right at the end of that essay. The stocks were Stratasys and Proto Labs. Now, at the time, this was about a year later, at the time, Proto Labs and Stratasys were each up over 100% for us as 3D printing became all the rage for a few years on the stock market. Again, Proto Labs and Stratasys both exist today as independent public companies. They're both still going, but they're no longer a big part of anyone's limelight. And we took our Chipotle profits and we put it, in a sense, into those two stocks. Proto Labs would briefly shoot up to be an eight-bagger during the pandemic. It made a huge COVID run as a stock, but Proto Labs is now back to where it started. It's up 0% since that day we recommended it in 2012. Almost exactly 0% here 10 and a half years later. Stratasys, I'm sorry to say, has done much worse. It peaked at the end of 2013, shortly after I wrote that essay and talked about how awesome that investment had been. It is now down about 75% from our initial position. It's a sub $1 billion market cap company today. A very unfortunate turn of events. The 3D printing stocks didn't really play very well for us. The technology remains relevant today. But I guess On the positive side, I'd like to point out two things to close. First of all, we have held Chipotle in Rule Breakers all the way through from $60.60. It has been a huge winner. The other positive I'd like to close with is I mentioned Tesla toward the end of that essay and how sometimes stocks get ahead of themselves, but you do well often to hold them anyway. It hurts when you look back over 2022. For a lot of us, we watched stocks we had profits in turn from profits to losses. But as I've been saying, just keep swimming. Tesla, whether it was ahead of itself or not, 
At this point, our November 23rd, 2011 cost basis for our members is up 150 times in value. Tesla's stock has split twice, the equivalent now of 15 for one. So our cost basis, $1.12 for a stock that's around 173 today. By the way, I did point out in something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, I did point out the benefits of considering Tesla at the start of this year. I didn't expect this, but it's gone from $103 a share a month ago to 173 as we talk about the stock today. So again, stocks can get ahead of themselves, but if you just keep holding Chipotle and Tesla, I think you'll be rewarded. You certainly have been over meaningful periods of time, the only ones I count decade plus. And while it's sad to think about Proto Labs and Stratasys, maybe we can also reflect that great brands, lots of people have heard of Chipotle, lots of people have heard of Tesla. Sometimes that can help us towards some of the better stock investments that we make. Not so many people have ever heard, even back in the day, of Proto Labs or Stratasys, and maybe they're in another investment lies. Anyway, there it is, Miss Chipotle Regrets from October 2013. All right, and the final essay from yesterday. And Rick, you can probably not play the same sound effect as you did last time because we're not going that fast or that much farther into the future. We're just 11 months forward. So it would be 11 months after that essay that this one appeared, entitled The Beating Heart of Rule Breakers. And as I prepared for this week's podcast and reread this, I thought, wow, I'm so glad I randomized this because it elegantly summarizes a number of the themes and points already made and kind of ties a bow around it to close this week's podcast. Here we go. The Beating Heart of Rule Breakers. Oh, and I should point out just before I start this one, this happened to be the month that was the 10-year anniversary for the Rule Breakers service. Every month for 10 years, Rule Breakers has been bringing you two recommendations of companies we believe will beat the market. From a talented team of analysts, five primary sources, each contributor gives his top three potential recommendations each month. From those 15 Recommendations month in and month out, 120 months, 120 times. I've tried to select our best two ideas that month. That's how Rule Breakers happens. And it works. As of today, our average selection has gained 85.2%. The S&P 500 over the same period has gained 45.5%. So our process has consistently achieved something that most people are told, whether by academics, Vanguard, or Burton Malkiel, author of A Random Walk Down Wall Street, can't be done. We have never agreed, or else rule breakers wouldn't exist. Commit to our rule-breaking approach, and you will do better than average. And part of this reward is that, heck, you have a lot more fun too. How naughty of us to defy conventional wisdom and make more money than we're, in quotes, supposed to. But I want to convey something more here. You see, there's also a very human dynamic to how Rule Breakers works. Our efforts are neither algorithmic nor machine-generated. From the outset, I picked a team of exceptionally capital F foolish contributors to breathe life into Rule Breakers, and 10 years later, we're pretty much all still here. 
My primary subject today, our hero, is Rick Munares. Do you own any shares of Baidu, Keurig Green Mountain, or Chipotle Mexican Grill? If so, you own those shares because Rick, TMF Breaker Rick, presented those stocks to our team years ago as worthy. And as I recently inventoried the greatest picks in our rule-breaking history, it turns out that those three stocks are it. Baidu is up 26 times. Keurig Green Mountain has multiplied 13 times. Chipotle from our 2007 cost basis has risen 11 times. I want all of you to know that these three greatest picks in our services history all began with one talented and thoroughly capital F foolish individual, my friend, Rick Munares. More broadly, the message I'm conveying is that it's a team effort. Great Motley Fool services always will be. And that message goes beyond Rick and his other analyst teammates here at The Fool right through to you and our community as many of our best and most active members contribute insight and perspective that is invaluable to our team. So it's a true team effort, though I do want to highlight that any great team is led by some star players. Rick Minares, thank you for taking all of us to dreamy heights. Fulan. Well, there's something really delightful about randomizing and happening upon things that connect with each other. And what a delight it was to get to share with you the essay from just one year earlier, all about Chipotle, and then to talk about in this one, to close this week, the man who picked it, and that Rick Minares had at that point the three best picks in the services in history. I probably, my face was all over Motley Fool Rule Breakers back in that day, but I was the first to say, this essay being an example, that we're a team and we have such talented people, not just on the Rule Breakers team, but yes, we do today, but of course, across our whole enterprise. And so many of you, whether for this podcast, it's the mailbag items that you send me that we get to share together. So many of you are also contributing to our forums online at fool.com, talking about stocks there. Some of you are contract writers or full-time employees at The Fool. Many of you are just well-wishers. You're people using our advice and helping us over time by saying, hey, Dave, you, you looked at this stock? Hey, Rick, Tim, have you taken a look at this stock? We benefit every single day at The Motley Fool, thanks to the wonderful community that I hope we never take for granted. A few other reflections, and then let's move on to other things in our lives this week. But one is that I realize when I do essays from yesterday, this episode, I'm often talking a lot about numbers. I'm not sure it's that easy to hear me spout out numbers one after another, so I'm going to try not to do it here. I did it a lot just talking about the numbers of Chipotle, the numbers of Marvel, or of Protolabs and Stratasys. I apologize to anybody who doesn't like to have numbers read at them. I guess it's also going to be true of us, though, that when you have a score everything mentality, which is my mentality, that you're going to end up often interpreting things through numbers. And I think especially since numbers are dollars, there's often a dollar sign tied to the numbers that we talk about on this podcast and through our company, The Motley Fool. I guess I think it's important then that we do score and that we do talk about numbers. So my apologies if it's not the best podcast. Maybe this should have all been a blog. I don't know. And then final thought, I love that that was the 10-year anniversary of the Rule Breakers service. That was, of course, back in 2014. 
service is now in its 19th year. And Rick Minars, Tim Byers, Carl Teal, many of that exact same team are right there doing the same work, but with many new contributors as well. There's something really great about a team that stays together and about having people. Fred Reicheld, the Harvard Business School professor, wrote a wonderful book called The Loyalty Effect. Having the loyalty of longstanding employees and certainly longstanding customers as well. Partners, suppliers, shareholders, the list goes on. The more loyalty enterprises generate, generally, the stronger that they are. And so every month for 10 years, we'd been bringing you this service. This was the essay that capped that off. But I do want to underline that phrase every month. It reminds me of the importance of regularity, of stability, of saving money every two weeks from your salary. And I would say investing that money consistently. Maybe you do it every two weeks or maybe you lump it up a few times a year, but being regular through good markets and bad. Often you can't know if it was good or bad until all in retrospect. That's why it's important to act in the present. And I think the regularity of Motley Fool Services consistently coming out with the next pick and the pick after that sets the right rhythm and the right tone for those foolish enough to follow along. And this reminds me, I think we have to have Rick Minares back on the mailbag this month just to reflect some on this essay maybe or on his 20 plus years with The Motley Fool. Well, there it was. Essays from yesterday, volume four. Four essays, as always, full of some really horrendous mistakes, but also some heartwarming and inspiring facts. And all of these things happened, and I'm sharing them in a fake news world. I'm sharing with you real stuff that's happened all the way through, and especially we're having that opportunity together to reflect and take away some lessons that we can use this week, this month, this year, going forth. So from the past to the present to the future, this week, I guess, celebrating the past, yesterday, I send you off to today. See you next week. Full on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.